Illusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer on the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro-seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to this summer edition of Diffusion. Listen to amazing and bizarre science infuse into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. With me in the studio is Therese Chen and Julianne Popple. On this edition, we'll have exercise pills, we'll talk about the internet blackout, and more. So one of those things that people have dreamed about for a long time is understanding exercise. Because it's known that exercise isn't just stretching up your muscles in hopes that they'll swell up and then be bigger magically. There's chemistry going on. And in the body, that means hormones. So we've hoped that one day you'd be able to just hit the reset button and take a pill rather than having to hit the gym to maintain your muscles. Because it's not just about getting fitter and getting stronger. It's also about maintaining your muscle mass. Because otherwise, it just all degrades away if you just lie down all the time or you sit down all the time. Well, they've managed to finally discover a hormone that surges during exercise, which may give you some of the benefits of a workout. The hormone's identical in mice and humans, according to a report in New Scientist. It promotes the development of energy-burning fat, beige fat. And this discovery could be a key to treating obesity, diabetes, and, as it turns out, heat stress. The protein is known as PGC1-alpha and mediates many of the benefits of exercise, such as the resistance to metabolic diseases. A team from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston analysed the factors secreted by muscle and regulated by PGC1-alpha. One of these factors turned out to be a new hormone which had been hidden inside a complex molecule. Further studies showed that that hormone jumped in mice and humans after bouts of exercise, when the hormone was added to mouse subcutaneous white fat cells, which is the white fat cells just under your skin, at an early stage of development, it made the cells more likely to become beige fat cells, which, like brown fat, are equipped to burn body fuel to generate heat. So the hormone carries a message from muscle to fat tissue. They've named the hormone irisin after the Greek messenger goddess Iris. Mice genetically engineered to have the irisin gene were fed a high-fat diet, and the researchers found that they burned more energy and had lower body weight than mice receiving a placebo. So what would you do with a hormone that mimics the effect of exercise? Well, the problem is, we don't really understand why it exists. Why would exercise put in motion events that produce fat cells that expend energy more easily than they conserve it? So the more you use your energy, the more your body wastes energy by burning it up as heat in brown fat. Jan Niedergaard, who studies brown fat at the Wenagren Institute at Stockholm University in Sweden, says that irisin could be of interest for all obesity-related issues. They speculate it may end up being down to shivering, so it's all to do with heat regulation. If the muscle contractions of shivering cause the body to produce irisin, which then influences the development of brown fat that generates heat, the hormone may have evolved. The hormone may have evolved to help stave off hypothermia. And later research has also shown that this hormone irisin is involved in regulating heat. If you give mice extra doses of irisin, 
then they're much more resistant to heat stress and less likely to have a heat stroke. So I'll call in the panel here. What do you think? If we have an exercise pill that is developed to be safe so that you don't have to spend punishing hours at the gym racking up big bills just to maintain your beautiful physique, would you take it? Was there actual just weight loss itself or was there actual muscle tone build up as well? The report says that they burned more energy. The report doesn't say. Now, they didn't restrict the mice from exercising. So these are mice compared to normal placebo-fed mice. So they're allowed to exercise at their normal rate. And exercising at their normal rate, they burned off more energy than the placebo mice. Okay, so it's not a case of sitting on your couch, popping a few pills and turning into Arnold Schwarzenegger. Not with this particular hormone, but that doesn't mean that might not be possible because it is all just can be cool. You might not be popping the pills. You might be rubbing something on into the muscles. I mean, it makes sense. There's people selling at the moment those abdominator sort of devices that have electrical stimulation of the muscles. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, that's without your conscious effort. So you can actually sit there or lie there on a couch and have this thing tensing your muscles for you. And the muscles are going through their exercises and they're releasing the hormones. It's just that you're not having to do it. You're feeling it, but you're not intending to do it. Of course, the problem is you're not moving all the other muscles you would do to move those muscles yourself. This is true. And and also, I think you might be missing out on some of the other psychological benefits that you get from, say, if you go outside for a jog or go rowing or shoot some hoops or something, you would miss out on all that stimulation from being outside. Well, yes and no. I think it's likely what will happen is we will end up with some sort of substances or understanding of exercise that lets us get more out of less exercise. So you won't have to spend hours and hours and hours at the gym, which let's face it, is not outside and is not that much fun. So that those two arguments in favor of traditional exercise just go out the window because people aren't doing that. Yeah, That's well, just not the reality. Personally, that's, that's my reality is I do all my exercise outside. I would never go to a gym. Mm. I prefer to do, I go to the park, I shoot hoops, I ride my bike. And I'd hate to have that time reduced to just mm. taking a pill. And also I think it's important to remember that bones play a role when it comes to exercise too and things such as bone density is dependent on like gravity. So you actually need to actually... You know, have them moving in a mm. way where a, we are upright, among other things. So, hadn't thought about that. That's mm. a very good point. Yes, yes, yes. Because if you lie down, then you get the same effects as weightlessness, yeah. and your bones start to dissolve their calcium back into mm-hmm. your blood, and you don't just lose muscle density but bone density. So, your body still kind of wants you to at least walk around, if not do something a bit more active. So, I think you don't have to give up anything you enjoy. Mm. But I think it will free a lot of people from a maintenance regime. Yeah, and I guess we're, we're, to, we're talking way down the track. We're talking about, you know, once further work's been done to really develop it. Maybe they'll never get to that point of developing a pill that complements all of the, that mimics all the hormones involved in exercise. But um, with the state they're at now, what, what are the current applications that they're foreseeing for just this one hormone? Well, the main thing is morbid obesity. So if you can get people, maybe not fit, you still have to do exercise and walk and and be out there to be fit. But if you can stop them being morbidly obese, so that instead of white fat and getting bigger and bigger, they have the brown and beige fat and just get hotter, both senses of the word, then 
that would be a lot healthier outcome. And that also helps diabetes because that's also related. So you've got those two things. And then you've got the heat stress problems of people who die of heat stroke. Now, if you're in a hot country, and of course there's global warming, then you've got to worry about how you deal with the heat. Now, it's not, a, again, this is one of those things where they don't understand it. You would think logically that a hormone that makes your fat generate more heat from your food, therefore making you hotter, would in fact make you less able to withstand external heat and regulate your temperature well. And yet that seems to be the opposite of what they found in their research, mm. that the mice who were given this hormone or were genetically engineered to express more of this hormone within their muscles. And that's the other trick, of course, is we don't know how this is going to be delivered because in the mice, it's genetically engineered and it's deep inside a protein, deep inside the muscle. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what sort of uh, delivery methods they come up with. Well, absolutely. If it's going to put people on the path to, you know, becoming healthy after being morbidly obese or having a problem with heat stroke, then abs then it could be a really great development. Mm. So maybe it won't make you an instant Arnold Schwarzenegger any more than, I was about to say any more than steroids, but of course uh, that's another story. <laughs> You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send email to diffusion at 2scr.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network, into Sydney on 2SCR, and over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. And of course, the big news last week was the internet blackout. If you look online at twitter.com slash herpderpedia, H-E-R-P-D-E-R-P-E-D-I-A, that's herpderpia, you can see all the people who are going, what happened to Wikipedia? Because they weren't informed and they didn't read the text that was on Wikipedia because on the 18th of January, the only thing you could read on Wikipedia was a protest about the SOPA and PIPA acts in America, the Anti-Piracy and Protect IP Acts. Not only was Wikipedia, but Google protested, Mozilla, Reddit, and lots of other sites also either blacked out or put up some form of protest. So what were they concerned about? Well, basically, the US government, on behalf of big business, meaning very specifically the Motion Picture Association of America and the Recording Industry Association of America, they wanted to be able to shut down the internet and any parts of it they don't like. And they didn't just want to do it for people that they'd convicted in a court, but they wanted to be able to do it on accusation. Pretty much, if the Motion Picture Association of America accused a site in Belgium of putting up a link, well, actually, let's go more specific. If they accused a teenager in Britain of putting up links to streaming videos, so he's not hosting them himself, he's just putting up links to them, then they would be able to actually take him from Britain to America by extradition and imprison him. Well, actually, no, that's actually not true. They're doing that right now, and the act hasn't even been passed. That's happening right now. Linking is illegal. So everybody on the internet is in trouble because that's what the internet is about. It's all about copying and sharing information. That's what networks do. 
Isn't it strictly in relation to American corporations, though? That's how I understood it. If they you're linking to a non-American association, then mm. surely that couldn't be construed as being illegal. Yes, they might only go after this British guy for the American artworks, but that's enough for them to extradite him to America using the 2003 extradition treaty that Britain signed. But wouldn't he be effectively promoting their website through linking to it? Only to a rational person. Mm. Now, the interesting thing is that he was only linking. He didn't store copies of the stuff. He didn't put the pictures on his own website directly. He didn't do anything like that. He just aggregated the links, which is what Google does. So really, I think Google should be paying for his defense because it's them next. So that's all just current law. What the internet blackout wasn't even about that. The internet blackout was about that multiplied by 100. Basically, what they wanted to be able to do was to order anybody in America to cease trading with anybody in the world that they didn't like the look of. So if they wanted to accuse you of copyright violation because you're a foreigner, then the American banks would be able to refuse transactions by your company or by your person. And Google would not be allowed to link to you. So you would not be referenced in Google. You would not be allowed to be hosted on American websites. You would not be allowed to have domains which are all put through the US. Every single domain in the world is maintained by the ICANN Corporation under the jurisdiction of the US government. So what they were originally going to do was they were going to take your name out of the domain name server list, which would mean anybody that wanted to connect to you would have to know the exact number of your machine, the IP number, which is rather long. And of course, unlikely that they're ever going to find you. So this is huge amounts of power. Basically, this is US government saying we own the world. Every single part of it that's got internet, we control the whole thing. And our jurisdiction is anywhere we say it is. And for some reason, people didn't like this. Now, that's Can't just... imagine why. Well, that's mm. us. We don't even have a vote because we're not in America. So the Americans themselves were not just concerned about the rest of the world, but they were also concerned about the fact that they kind of believe from their constitution that they have free speech. And under this rule, linking is illegal. Putting up mashups is illegal. Everything on YouTube is illegal. Everything on Facebook is illegal. Most of Twitter is illegal and Google Some is hugely illegal. Some pictures you'd put up in blogs, screenshots from video games would be illegal. Tumblr would be illegal. And of course, parody would be illegal. And there almost isn't anything you would want to do on an internet because the network is about copying information. That's what networks are for. That's what they were designed to do from the very beginning. Then naturally everything's about copying. So you can't stop it and have a network, which means they want to break the internet. They want to break democracy as well. Oh, yeah, that's what it is about. It's not just the internet, it's democracy as well. At the heart of it, it's political. Gosh, we are sailing into murky political waters tonight on Mm -hmm. Diffusion, aren't we? Intellectual property, if it's not protected, then artists and innovators don't get rewarded. Mm -hmm. And if they don't get rewarded, then... A lot of the time, not only will they not have an incentive to keep on doing it, but a lot of the time they won't be able to afford to do it. That's the main argument. But of course, our traditional system doesn't really reward artists very much. 
because they have to sign contracts with distribution agencies, with record companies, with the same agencies that want to shut them down. Funnily enough. Hmm. So something has to change. We need a better business model. And so the life cycle of capitalism continues. In the music industry, musicians have found alternative ways to get paid rather than signing deals with record companies. These days they can go on tour, they can sell their songs directly online, and most recently some performers, some comedians, have done a whole TV show, put it up online for five bucks. And, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, and made a million dollars in a week, which more than paid for the production of the show. Problem is you have to produce the show first, which means you have to have the capital to either keep everyone working for free until you can pay them or to pay them up front and then collect your money afterwards. But for the movie industry, which is much more expensive than TV, we don't have any model at all yet, which is why they're so unhappy about people watching their stuff for free. Well, see, there's politics on the communication of science as well, yep. because at the moment, journals cost money. Yeah, for sure. Journals cost a lot of money. And if you want to see even one article on the net, one paper, one scientific paper, which is the currency of science, if you read something in your scientist or you read something somewhere else and you want to see the original research, if you want to check it out, then you have a choice of either paying $30 per paper to the journal for just one paper, not the whole journal, just one paper, or joining a library, and we're talking a university library, at several hundred dollars a year, or maintaining your own personal subscription to all the scientific journals at thousands per year. I'll have to ask some librarian friends just how much they have to pay for their access. But the average person at the moment at home cannot go on the internet and access scientific papers except for the Public Library of Science and those that the author has made available as a PDF on his page. Which they tend to get in trouble for. Which they get in trouble for because as authors, they don't have the copyright to their own work because the journals claim that copyright. Which is why we're so important now. Cut that cut. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life. So let, let's discuss a social issue. Mm. What age should a young boy or girl start using a phone? Well, harking back to one of our earlier shows and scientific justification, uh, Victoria reported a story where the World Health Organisation, it was, uh, reported on some slight possible cancer risk associated with the use of mobile phones. So, And based on that, I think their recommendation was that young people who've got, you know, developing bodies, developing brains, etc., shouldn't be using mobile phones on a regular basis. So based on that slight risk, perhaps it's better so when they're, say, 16, when they're more fully developed, when they're more mature, to be using a mobile phone. I think that's quite interesting because that goes to the nub of that research, 
What most people saw mm. is not what you've said, which is that for adults, they believe there's no cancer risk. Mm-hmm. Like they found no evidence yeah. of a cancer risk. What they did find, it does cause changes to cells. There's a slight heating. So there is an effect on the brain, but on adults, it's not known to be dangerous. But that doesn't mean it can't hurt a developing brain. Absolutely. And it causes the neurons to fire at different rates, doesn't it? Exactly. They go a little bit faster in the area of the electromagnetic fields. Yeah, the heat, which personally I find alarming. Now, while you might think you want your brain cells to go faster, you probably don't want them to go faster while the others are going slower because that messes up the communication between them. But see, that's not proved or disproved, so that's hard for parents to act on. But what about the simple fact that your child can be called by people, your child can call anyone in the world, and of course, any phone they buy now will not just be a phone that they can talk to their friends endlessly on, but it will be a smartphone, which means it will have a camera as well and will be connected to the internet. So it will be an unlimited everything device. It depends on, I guess it depends on what kind of phone and what kind of plan you get. I mean, if you go for prepaid, you can't really have the internet because it's just not going to... You can, you know. You can, really? You can pay for prepaid internet as well. Oh man, I'm such a dinosaur. (laughs) You can. And see, here's the thing, that parents want to teach children self-discipline. They want to teach them to sort of measure out things and sort of make it last. And so you want to be able to save up your pocket money and Mm. you want to be able to, you know, there's all sorts of things involved here. There's responsibility Mm. as well that you want your kids to have at some age, right? So it's all these things that children need to learn, but it's it's also safety. But should you really Mm. be like, should anyone ever bushwalk without a mobile phone if it's in range? Like, For an emergency you? situation, having a mobile phone, and even if you have a prepaid, and even if they've run out of credit, they can still phone emergency services. You've still got the, uh, I think it's 112 is the mm-hmm. international number that you phone on mobile phones uh, to get emergency services, even if you have no credit. There's also just basically letting kids socialise. You know, I mean, mobile phones are how the world works now, right? It's kind of how you do everything. Like, for example, if you're going to meet your friends, and it depends how old you are, of course, whether you're out going out with your friends or not, mm-hmm. outside of school, you're kind of going to organise it on your phone. And you're going to organise the place and the time. I mean, in the olden, olden days... In the olden days... I remember those days. Before the mobile phones were cheap and common and perhaps even available, people used to actually make a date and time, and they had to either be prompt or miss out. Because if you're not on time, people will wait a little bit for you. But if they don't know what's happened to you, they can't wait forever. And if you're late, you have no way of telling them what's happened. Because unless they're near a landline, you couldn't tell them. So these days, that's not how it works, of course. You will just send them a text or phone them, and they'll know. And if you don't have a mobile phone, then you'll miss out. So there's going to be peer group pressure. Oh, the social pressure for Mm. sure, because it's always changing. And then, you know, when we were teenagers, it was a different situation to now. But it's also a learning device because it's an internet device and it's a general purpose computer. And I mean, I've seen, I mean, I'm sure you've seen this too, that if you go to, say, a doctor's waiting room or somewhere or almost anywhere, really, 
parents are giving their $800 iPhones to their babies and toddlers to play with to keep them quiet. <laughs> so you've got babies and toddlers playing with phones so that they can play Angry Birds, pretty much. I've seen uh, pretty amusing videos on the internet of people giving their iPads to uh, to their cats and dogs and getting them to play various games on them. Actually, I, I saw an article recently about a, a zoo in America that was using iPads with, I think it was with orangutans, and getting them to um, actually socialise. Yes, yes, iPads. I saw this. Did you see this one? Was yes. it orangutans or chimps? Orangutans. Orangutans, yeah. So they were they were basically trying to set up a sort of social networking amongst different zoos and showing one orangutan, another one, on the uh, through the internet and socialising and... And, it's and Skype, it's, it's Google Hangouts for orangutans. Who better to hang out than an ape? Orangutans mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. is that I believe they did something like that earlier for parrots. Really? They had an internet for parrots because parrots are highly intelligent, but the ones in captivity are understimulated because they're in a cage and usually in one room. And they only see their owners like, you know, at the end of the day or something, if they're lucky. So they get really, really bored and they go out of their minds and they've got minds. Mm. So the solution is, again, social networks for animals. So they have an internet of parrots. Now, I think I'm, it's a great way to improve the life quality of an animal that's, mm. you know, confined to captivity. That is, you know, in itself fulfilling the function of educating people about these animals and two, making sure it has a better time while it's doing that. Absolutely. If we're going to imprison them in the first place, the least we can do is give them Make internet it access. Fun. Yes. It's a human right. And a parrot right. And an orangutan right. And that's all from us this time on Diffusion. You can send email to diffusion at 2SCR.com. That's diffusion at 2SCR.com. And tell us your thoughts, feelings and stories. If you'd like to be on radio and you live in Sydney, we need more volunteers on Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Contributing to the program were Therese Chen and Julianne Popple. I produced Diffusion in the studios of 2SCR in Sydney. And Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Looking at the URL, the first thing that sticks out is the colon. And how about a slashing or cutting sound for the slashes? To complete the experience, we might throw in the HTTP and maybe some kind of download sound. www.diffusionradio.com Lachlan Watmore on guitar. Ha, ha, ha,